Welcome to Silicon Valley Trends, a free podcast series published by Silicon Valley Business School. I'm your host, David Smith. At Silicon Valley Business School, we provide affordable, real-world, online business education to everyone, everywhere, and guide entrepreneurs towards success with their startup ventures. Today, we're going to talk about what it takes to be successful in the world of patent licensing. People outside the patent industry might think that patent licensing is a pretty simple business. It's not. The problem is that companies don't like paying patent royalties. Large corporations are the most prevalent infringers, and they take the attitude that they will only pay royalties when they're forced to in a court of law. Product manufacturers are reluctant licensees. And that's putting it lightly. Most large corporations have armies of lawyers and a war chest of funds to attack anyone who comes asking for a patent royalty. As a result of intense lobbying in Washington, D.C. and fake news about patent trolls, large companies have been successful in changing the laws in their favor to such an extent that many patents have been rendered invalid by case law and new protections have been set up to shield accused infringers and deter patent holders from asserting their rights in the federal courts. Many people will try to generate profitable revenues, but most will fail. There are some successful business models, and here I'm going to look at a recipe for success in patent licensing. Of course, the first ingredient you need is a portfolio of quality patents. Ideally, you want more than one of them because defendants tend to attack patents and have a good chance of having them invalidated by the Patent Trial and Appeals Board at the US Patent and Trademark Office. On average, the chance of having a patent invalidated once an inter-party review has been triggered by a defendant is 37%. Actually, it's a 60% chance of having the petition initiated and then a 60% chance of winning that. So if you look at the patents that have been subjected to an inter-party review, 37% of them have been essentially invalidated, so they can't be used in litigation. So from a statistical perspective, if you have one patent in a case, there's a 37% chance that patent will be killed and the case will be lost as a result. When you have two patents, the chance of having both of them killed comes down from 37% to 14%, calculated at 37% of 37%. When you have three patents, the probability goes down to 5%. With five patents, the chance of having all of them invalidated, on average, is less than 1%. So, looking at it from the other perspective, when you have five patents or more, your chances of having patents that will survive through to trial are higher than 99%. This means you not only want quality patents, but you want a bunch of them, ideally five or more. Patents can be acquired in a number of ways. You can come up with inventions and file applications. The problem with this is that it takes years to get your patent granted. Then it takes about 10 years for sufficient infringement in the market to develop to justify bringing a lawsuit. 
In most cases, the technology doesn't catch on, no one adopts the invention in their products, so there are no royalties to collect. Acquiring patents through invention is a long process that is speculative. If you're looking to collect license royalties, you're likely not prepared to wait more than 10 years, hope the stars align and your patents become heavily infringed. This is why patent purchasing is an effective option. There are more than 2 million active US patents. And with my company Tynax, we contacted hundreds of organizations to see which ones would be prepared to sell their patents under the right conditions. At the last count, we had more than 500,000 patents in our database available for sale. These are not all patents that are on the market with sales materials and a price tag attached, but they're patents that are sitting on some organization's balance sheet and the owner is prepared to sell if it receives a reasonable offer and a license back so it doesn't lose the right to practice the invention. Since the most significant patent reforms were initiated in around 2012, the number of patents available for sale has increased significantly. And at the same time, the number of patent buyers in the market has declined considerably. The result is a buyer's market, where patents can be acquired today on terms that are favorable and compelling for potential acquirers. Instead of buying patents, many patent licensing companies have turned to offering sellers a percentage of the licensing fees collected. They offer sellers a share of the back-end profits rather than an upfront payment. A buyer in the market today with cash to buy patents is able to negotiate bargain prices, especially for patents that have been on the market for a while, where the seller understands the real-world situation on pricing. The patent market is still a mystery to many, and we still come across sellers that are out of touch with reality, but acquiring patents is not too difficult when you have cash to spend in the, the, this buyer's market. The key is finding the real quality assets, researching infringement and assembling a portfolio of patents that can be used in a licensing campaign. Finding quality patents that are heavily infringed is a challenge for anyone in the patent monetization business. It requires lots of research and is something like finding a needle in a haystack as less than one in a thousand patents ever makes it to trial. Here at Tynax, we've analyzed all the patents granted in the United States and rated them. We're looking for well-constructed patents with good claims and a high likelihood of infringement. We've also rated every patent holder, patent attorney and inventor. This data helps us find patents matching the needs of our clients. Operating companies are looking for patents they can use in cross-licensing. So they're looking for patents with at least five years life left on them. But licensing companies are usually more interested in older patents that are approaching their expiration date, as they can usually collect back royalties for historical infringement. An experienced patent broker can be instrumental in finding quality patents, negotiating terms with the patent holders and negotiating the patent purchase transaction. Large corporate patent holders are often reluctant to deal with patent licensing companies directly and see them as the enemy in many situations. They don't want to be seen colluding with the enemy, but these companies are looking to monetize their patents 
and will usually be prepared to interface with a trusted patent broker. So beyond having access to sellers and having a database of patents for sale, a reputable broker can be critical when it comes to opening doors and negotiating the acquisition of quality patents. The next ingredient is a patent assertion entity. It's become commonplace for patent licensing and litigation to take place through a dedicated new company. A patent assertion entity is created with the sole purpose of holding ownership of the patents and acting as plaintiff in the patent litigation cases. Patent licensing is essentially a specialist business. You need specialist lawyers and technologists to run licensing campaigns. When negotiating license terms, lawyers representing licensees generally try to get a license to all the patents held by the licensor. In fact, many times they'll ask for a covenant not to sue, which means the plaintiff can never sue the defendant again with any patents. The strategy often adopted by patent holders is to separate patent licensing campaigns by using separate patent assertion entities each one a separate company with a distinct set of patents. Then they can provide licensees with what they're looking for, license rights to all the company's patents and an assurance that they won't be sued by the same company again in future. As well as limiting the patent licenses to patents involved in a specific licensing campaign, asserting patents through a dedicated patent assertion entity can provide a shield of protection for the inventors or the original patent holders. If they spin the patents out into a new LLC, they're less likely to be on the receiving end of counterattacks from defendants when infringement suits are filed. Damage limitation is a good reason for separating licensing campaigns and isolating each one in a separate LLC. If one campaign gets damaged in some way, the damage can be restricted to that one LLC and doesn't spread to any of the other campaigns. Hence, dedicated patent assertion entities are a familiar part of a patent licensing landscape today. Another key ingredient for a successful licensing campaign is compelling evidence of infringement. You need the patent attorneys and technical experts to show that the accused product is practicing the patented inventions. Figuring out which products are infringing and proving the infringement requires a team with extensive technical expertise and familiarity with current patent law. In some products, the infringement is quite evident, as it can be seen from the outside. For other products, it's necessary to disassemble the product and reverse engineer it to figure out how it works and show that the patented inventions are indeed present. There's a whole industry built around breaking down electronic products such as smartphones and figuring out how they work. When you consider that a smartphone contains more than 250,000 patented inventions, you can see how complicated they are and how much expertise is required to show precisely which patents are being infringed, with evidence that will stand up in court. When you have a quality patent portfolio, strong evidence of infringement, and a list of suspected infringers, you're in position to talk to patent litigators. If you consider patents or weapons of litigation, you can think of patent litigators as the gunslingers of the intellectual property world. 
Taking the patents, the target list of defendants, and the evidence of infringement, litigators file lawsuits, handle all the various legal motions and challenges, and fight the case in court. As a result of the decline in litigation following the weakening of the patent laws in the federal courts, there's currently no shortage of quality litigators looking for clients and cases. Litigators would love to work on an hourly rate, but many of them are prepared to work on a contingent basis. Many large firm litigators will work on a blended arrangement where they earn hourly fees at a discounted rate and get a share of the upside when the case is finally disposed. Some experienced litigators are prepared to work on a fully contingent arrangement where they take no fees at all but earn a share of the proceeds. Of course, if they're working on a no-win, no-fee basis, these litigators are looking for the very best cases. If you can engage a litigator on a fully contingent arrangement, you know you have a pretty good case and you know the litigator is not going to waste any time billing hours. Your interests and those of the litigation team are well aligned. However, finding litigators prepared to take on such cases is not easy. Where it can be possible to find contingent litigators who share in the proceeds of a patent licensing campaign, it's the law of the United States that expert witnesses have to be paid in cash. It makes sense. A witness can't be impartial if her compensation is driven by the outcome of the case. Hence, experts need to be hired on an hourly rate basis, paid in cash, and they don't come cheap. The expertinstitute.com reports that the average rate for an expert witness in a deposition is $475 an hour. When it comes to trial, though, the average rate for a testifying witness increases to $507 an hour. The rates can increase to more than $1,000 an hour in certain specialist fields. Where the case involves a fight between opposing litigation teams, it can be the experts who ultimately decide the winner and loser. A real expert who's honest and believable can win over a jury, but this usually requires experience in the courtroom and a high degree of familiarity with patent law. Choosing witnesses can be critical to the success of a case and a licensing campaign. When a patent is challenged in an inter-party review, experts and specialist patent attorneys are usually required by both sides. Litigators with experience of arguing cases before the federal courts aren't much use as these IPRs are handled by the Patent Trial and Appeals Board, the PTAB, an arm of the US Patent and Trademark Office, with specialist administrative law judges. Where a litigator might be accustomed to selling a case to a jury, the same courtroom techniques don't hold much sway with these experienced judges. Essentially, you need experienced patent attorneys working with technical experts to fight an IPR challenge, and the litigators usually await the outcome of the IPR. Where the patent attorneys take a back seat to the litigators in federal court, it's the other way round before the PTAB. Once the IPR is filed, you often find litigators turning to other cases pending the outcome of the IPR. The litigator's work is often put on hold while the IPR takes its course. If a defendant is facing a single patent in a case, rather than agree to pay a license fee, the defendant will often decide to file an IPR 
hoping to get the pattern invalidated entirely. As I mentioned before, 37% of these challenges are successful. So spending $250,000 on an IPR can be a good investment for a company accused of patent infringement. If the patent holder has a portfolio of quality patents and the portfolio is growing through ongoing prosecution, the defendant has little chance of invalidating all the patents and doesn't even know the scope of the patents it's facing, so is more likely to agree to a settlement. Of course, the source that makes the whole recipe come together is finance. You need some cash to buy the patents, pay the patent attorneys, the experts, and cover the out-of-pocket costs and other expenses. As I mentioned before, sometimes you can get attorneys to work on a contingency basis where they earn a share of the proceeds and don't bill their hours. But this is very unusual and most attorneys will be reluctant to work on a no-win, no-fee basis. If the defendants suspect that you might be short of cash, they might be inclined to use this against you. I've spoken to patent attorneys that have had defendants ask to see their company's bank balance before agreeing to negotiate a license. You don't have to show licensees your bank account, but you do need to show them that you have the wherewithal to take the case through trial and appeal. When the whole mixture is cooking up nicely, you're going to need dealmakers on the team capable of negotiating settlements with defendants. The defendant will usually request the broadest license at the lowest possible price. The broadest type of license is a covenant not to sue. This prevents the patent holder from ever suing the defendant and depending on the situation might be acceptable to both sides. The alternative arrangement is a license to the patents held by the patent holder at the time of the settlement. This buys peace for the defendant for a while at least, until the patent holder acquires new patents that are not covered by this license. In some situations, the defendant will seek a broad peace agreement that prevents an inventor from ever suing the company again. Lawyers can get quite creative with peace agreements restricting the inventor and his family members from suing the company and can even extend beyond the life of the inventor. Settlements are usually one-off lump sum payments, not ongoing royalties paid each year. In essence, when an accused infringer decides to pay a settlement fee, the message to the patent holder is usually, I'm paying you this money because I want you to go away and I never want to see or hear from you again. As I mentioned at the beginning, infringers are somewhat reluctant patent licensees and the whole patent licensing process is usually highly adversarial. Any good recipe will provide you with the cooking times, so let's look at the timescales involved here. The process of acquiring patents can be quite time consuming, but can be reduced down to a couple of months when handled by an experienced patent broker and attorneys representing the buyer. I once closed out a patent purchase transaction in just two weeks, but that was a situation where the buyer and seller were both motivated to move quickly and we had lawyers working on both sides that were not hanging around. Prosecuting new patents from applications can take years, but there's an accelerated process that costs more and takes more effort on the part of the patent attorney 
but reduces the prosecution time down to 12 months. Congress mandated that the inter-party review process should be concluded at the USPTO within 12 months, extendable to 18 months if the director is able to show cause for extension. In some cases, the federal court will stay the case pending the outcome of the IPR, but this depends on the court, the judge, and the status of the case when the IPR was filed. Defendants, usually large corporations accused of patent infringement, do what they can to delay the case as long as possible. They didn't have much luck in the federal court in the Eastern District of Texas, which established a reputation for allowing cases to reach the jury without delay. Following intense lobbying in Washington, the corporate defendants succeeded in having the laws changed in their favor, so they can have their cases transferred out of Eastern Texas so long as they don't have any substantial business operations there. Now we have a situation where the speed of the case going to trial depends on the district in which the case is heard, the specific court and the judge. It can take two, three years or more for a patent case to go to trial, but well-constructed patent licensing campaigns can start turning a profit within a couple of years through pre-trial licensing settlements. When facing a strong and growing portfolio of patents and a capable team of attorneys, defendants are often inclined to settle the case out and minimize their legal fees, especially if they are provided with compelling incentives for early settlements. So, here we have a recipe for success in patent licensing. The ingredients are not easy to assemble and the recipe is not easy to perfect. Many people will try to license their patents, but few will succeed. However, success is possible in the US patent licensing business if you have access to quality patents, an experienced patent broker, a patent assertion entity, patent prosecution attorneys, evidence of infringement, patent litigators, technical experts, specialist inter-party review attorneys, settlement deal makers, and some cash to bind everything together. The whole process will take a few years, but if you get it right, you could start collecting revenues in year one. In case a defendant refuses to settle, you're going to need to be prepared to take the case through trial and appeal, however. For more information on this topic, you might want to check out the Patent Strategies course on the svbs.co Silicon Valley Business School website and some of the other episodes we have on the podcast relating to patents. In particular, you might want to listen to the episode titled Monetizing Patents Through Non-Practicing Entities, Patenting by Numbers, and the episode called Blocking Illegal Imports Through the International Trade Commission, ITC. You'll find my books and other resources available for free on the Tynax, tynax.com website. You're welcome to join me in my Silicon Valley Business School chat room where I can answer your questions. You'll see that we have other experts on startups, marketing and momentum on the svbs.co website. You can easily book a one-to-one -one video conference if you have any specific questions. I hope you'll join us for future podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe so you get new episodes as and when they're released. And please rate us in your podcast player as this will help us get the word out to entrepreneurs and the other people we're trying to help with this podcast series. 
that's it for today. Hope you tune in to the next Silicon Valley Trends, the podcast for innovators and entrepreneurs.